Welcome to this episode of our podcast series, Remote Co Connectivity, How to Achieve Information Resilience, hosted by BSI. Throughout this series, we'll be discussing a range of topics to help your organization improve its information resilience in this increasingly distributed working world. So make sure to subscribe to the BSI channel and get notified of future next episodes. My name is Mark Brown. Global Managing Director for CSER at BSI, and I'm joined here today by David Mudd, IoT Product Certification Director at BSI, and Isabel Forkin, Head of Cyber Lab Services for CSER at BSI. In today's episode, we will discuss enabling Industry 4.0 and digital transformation. In doing so, we will look at the issue of IoT security across the asset lifecycle and the risks associated with exposed networks. We'll also look at accountability from planning and manufacture to installation and disposal and explain how to ensure a robust management system, managing business and technological cyber risks and therefore achieving sustainable resilience in IoT. For your reference, slides are available on this page of the podcast. For many organizations, Industry 4.0 is, is a real opportunity. There was a survey published by Forbes magazine of the Fortune 100 CEOs who were surveyed in May last year, which indicated that they were forecasting that when the COVID pandemic rescinded, that they would look to spend their way out of recession through digital transformation. So, so how, do you, how does that relate to your perspective in terms of product certification and the resilience and security testing that you undertake for those impacts on Industry 4.0 adoption? Can I, I jump in there first, Mark? Well, it, it, what I see, what's quite interesting is there's been lots of forecasts, I would say, for four or five years showing those incredible ski jump, you know, growth, this kind of thing then as well, that have, what I have seen previously is there's been a lot of proof of concept and small scale adoption, but we yet to see that real explosion. And in many ways, issues around the pandemic have, um, have forced, as they have in so many areas, I think forced businesses to think quite seriously how they can bring, spring back from it. But also even during the pandemic, there's been great opportunities there where connected technology has actually helped. So I do think I see this as being something there will be something, if not that complete ski jump, there will definitely be an acceleration that's been predicted for several years, I think, coming through it now. But I think what it has also shown though is um, the risk level of involved. So there's a potential trigger point here and it's all just being about having enough confidence in the ROI. And when we're talking about the return on investment, the business case is important, but just the confidence that the product will actually deliver resiliently to spec needs to be there to get beyond the proof of concept. So I can still see some issues around that. And that's where I think whether it's risk management, whether it's testing, whether it's certification, the need for that trust and confidence that you're actually going to get what, what um, the guys with the spinning bow ties and wavy hands have said it's going to change your world. Will that really happen? And I think that's the opportunity for us to really help here. And Isabel, thinking about new technologies and your role, your looks at emerging tech risk, where do you see that dovetailing for Industry 4.0 and, and IoT? Are, are there any other areas that you see really are adjunctive as impacts here? 
So you're, you're absolutely right. There's um, obviously we have uh, the evolving 5G and, um, and automation space um, that's really driving uh, a lot of the digital transformation and a lot of the, the benefits that are being seen around um, the resilience uh, and um, the ability to kind of distribute your computing and therefore not being reliant on um, sort of centralized systems is, is creating a huge benefit um, to organizations. Uh, obviously that comes with a flip side of then having to make sure that you understand what that actually means in terms of the risk profile of delivering systems and, and understanding kind of that end-to-end -end solution. Um, and making sure that the resilience that you gain um, isn't kind of uh, then affected by resilient issues within those individual systems that are that are sitting around at the edge. Yeah, and picking up on that, if I look back over my time, I've spent the past four years almost entirely focused on the industrial and IoT world. Many of the security issues that we see, they may look at these and say, well, actually, I know about these. Many of these are somewhat the hygiene factors of trust for the IoT environment. But David, in your experience, are you actually seeing that bear into reality when you're testing devices, um, you know, for for me, you know, whilst we consider as security professionals that these are what everybody should be doing, does that you know is that real, or are we still seeing significant concerns on the IoT R and D and manufacturing perspectives? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. It's um, so every um, product that we assess it comes to us from a manufacturer who's volunteering that product forward. So we're not in the security researcher space of taking products off the shelf. And so generally speaking, we'll um, um, go for, the manufacturer is aware of the um, standards and everything we're working to and the expectations there. But frequently, all too frequently, we are still seeing some of the absolutely fundamental um, security vulnerabilities, whether it's around default passwords, patch management, in particular, linking back through the supply chain where quite often the manufacturer is heavily dependent on key aspects from his from their suppliers, but don't necessarily have either the skills or the ability in the house to assess that, puts the product forward. And we're still seeing a lot of the basic vulnerabilities that um, uh, were there four or five years ago. Um, and that's from the fraction of percentage of, of manufacturers that are putting products forward for independent insurance. So my concern therefore is if this is this is the good side of it. What's the rest of it like? So I would say there really is still a clear and present problem from um, the most obvious security vulnerabilities. And I would put a lot of that down to um, how supply chain is managed when developing um, a connected device. Quite often, the manufacturer, they're focused on the functionality of the device and are buying in or subcontracting or partnering for key aspects of that connectivity and therefore the security. I, I, and Isabel, you know, maybe one one final point on on this before we move to to the next element. As you know, thankfully, after a year of of various levels of lockdown, we 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 see the end in sight, hopefully, for the pandemic, and and we, we are seeing significant increased commitment to IoT technologies from our our, our client organisations. 
But what are you seeing from the trust equation? Um, you know, where our clients are, are, are looking for assurance. Uh, they're looking for confidence about the use of IoT. What are the always signs that we're seeing as businesses look to return to normal and embrace the digital transformation of Industry 4.0 and IoT? So I would say that we are moving towards um, needing to really look across that full um, breadth of what the changes are meaning in a in a um, in a practical sense. Um, so, for example, uh, we are seeing organisations coming to us that really need to understand what exactly it is that their products and services and systems are doing um, at kind of a, a both at a technical level, but I think more importantly, how that sits in line with um, business objectives and, um, and and actually the delivery of the service, and that evolving um, through through this digital transformation, people aren't necessarily going back to offices. They aren't necessarily going back to um, to to those work locations um, and to enable that kind of uh, distributed workforce, we need that distributed trust um, in the workforce and in their ability to connect through. Um, so that's, that's the kind of thing that we are seeing. But if we look at the, the next slide, um, you know, I, I like to use this as, as a really simple means of not the BSI view of how, why this is important, but this, this is taken from a number of authoritative reports, including the World Economic Forum, who've looked at the likelihood and impact of risks associated with independent sectors around IoT. And we see here some very clear trends around IoT security and the gap that exists. For example, there are no risks perceived as unlikely. And there are very few risks where the impact is not going to be significant. So, so Isabel, you're thinking about the work that you've done uh, with the, the UK government or with NCSC and some of the cyber, the cyber lab testing that you've been involved with. Maybe to you know, invite you to take one of the, the sectors that you've had specific dealings with and, and give some more explanation as to why you know, we're seeing such a high ranking of the both the, th the, the threat and likelihood and the impact to that sector. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, looking broadly across uh, the all of these different categories, there's there's a large range of the different areas. Um, what I might talk about is the the meter and billing tampering section, which is currently sitting kind of in the middle. Um, but of course, we are seeing uh, the introduction of smart metering, um, the and that that's being installed in everyone's homes kind of as we as we speak practically um, and I think that that's probably a really interesting area to be keeping an eye on um, and as that goes into more people's homes as it's starting to be more widely available and widely used I think that we are going to see that moving 
probably both both up likelihood and impact so up towards that top uh, right hand corner um what's interesting and i think the the poll kind of potentially reflects this a little bit those um those people who have said that they think that the the, the gap is reducing i wonder if that is related to kind of a perception of whilst that threat um, is increasing the gap with controls is meaning that overall it's reducing so particularly in the smart metering space, there is a huge amount of work that's being done um, by energy companies, by um, regulatory bodies, by test houses and by the manufacturers to really build uh, a system that understands what the security profile is of those systems um, and actually puts in place as many controls as possible um, and and you know that is relevant and appropriate to make sure that the that the perceived risks are actually addressed correctly um, and so i i feel like that that blob with nothing else happening would move up um, however the more controls we are able to put in place i i think ideally we want everything to move down right and down towards the bottom left corner um and i th i think those ones that are sitting in the middle are um are in a really interesting kind of space where there is a big risk but there are also some controls in there to mitigate those risks and so we're, we're seeing them sitting in that that in-between space and, and david you, you talked in your introduction around you you're the gamekeeper turned poacher in, in this respect so so maybe from your perspective maybe you know you're taking maybe another sector or looking at the supply chain perspectives yeah you know, your perspective on the importance and the gravitas of, of the placements of the likelihood and impact on industries yeah so the, the the two key ones for me consumer if you then look at the impact uh, when we're talking around potential you know, personal industry, in, injury, loss of privacy, this kind of thing. And I think certainly if you look along the supply chain, when you look at um, manufacturers in the OEM business, this kind of thing, they're obviously going to be very, very driven, but it's a very competitive market. They're driven by price. They're driven by really what's the minimum they need to do to get something to the point where they can legally place it on the market. And anything else from that detracts from that. And maybe then, you know, particularly where in Europe we're now starting to see uh, the impact of, kind of privacy law, this kind of thing then as well, a couple of years into GDPR, you know, the impact to a business around some of these privacy breaches. And certainly when it comes to personal injury, when you look at, um, there's a disconnect there, I think, between the OEM and supply chain business of connected devices into the consumer world and, and what we're seeing is some very real risks. And certainly that's why... You know, the UK government was driving the secure by design principles for consumer IoT as a top priority. And we're seeing that echoed by Singapore um, and you know, other countries around the world really picking up now on the importance of making sure that supply chain is aware of the impact of what they're doing and, and putting the onus for that, that security back on the manufacturer rather than expecting the consumer, especially when you look at the, the impact here. The other one very briefly is um, healthcare, medical device, you know, impact massively high. And, you know, we, what we have seen is a big targeting of, of healthcare medical device, uh, medical device systems through 2020. And this is com combined with a huge, huge need as well as opportunity within healthcare for this connectivity. 
to enable more pragmatic, cost-effective care, to enable more independence with an ageing population. It, it's, it's a necessity that we have an effective connected infrastructure and solution there, but that's also a prime target. So I think those are the two things. So consumer, going back to OEM, and the, both the opportunity and what we're seeing as a focused attack on that healthcare sector has been the big two to, to um, I would pick out. Yeah, and, may, and maybe if I take the liberty of, of calling out a third one, and, and this is from my very personal and, and real experience, is you know one of the key areas that I've seen over the past few years, yeah, and I think 2017 was very much a seminal year for anybody who had anything to do with OT or IoT security. It, it wasn't really seen as the purview or the or the, or the ballywick of you know, uh, you know a CIO or a CISO. It was something that they were kept away from, but with the not aware and the WannaCry attacks of 2017, we've seen quite quite a dynamic shift. And really from 2018 onwards, there has been a continual increase in the number of organizations where the CIO and the CISO have had industrial security and IoT security added to their ever-increasing list of responsibilities. But the the perspective that they have to look at that through is very different and and not wishing to sort of denigrate some of the aspects of enterprise you know cyber security the impacts to an organization are significant and, and looking at both consumer and manufacturing um, you know, very real here and as applicable to energy utilities and many other sectors within the world of enterprise it if a system goes down, an organization can largely continue to operate. If email goes down, many of us will say, well, it's, you know, we'll actually get some work done. But we've still got phones, we've still got you know, pen and paper, we can still work. But in manufacturing, in, in consumer, in energy and utilities, in oil and gas, if these systems go down, the business stops almost instantaneously and the financial impact to a business is absolute and can run into millions per hour. So it's a very different mindset that the cybersecurity industry and and you know, those within the industry have to you know, put themselves into. They now have to think about the operational run rate of the business, the economics of security. And for many people, that's not an area that they've had to deal with before. So, so you know, again, from, from your perspectives, David, uh, David and Isabel, you know, what are you seeing? Are you seeing that you know, the cybersecurity professional engage at that level where they understand the business concern? Or, or are you seeing that they're still very focused, almost myopically, on the technical aspects of the requirement? I do see that to a certain extent, Mark. I think the, the, the big issue, as you said, with the, the OT part of things is it's not just confidentiality, integrity and availability, it's safety, it's people's lives. You know, we've seen steelworks burned down because, you know, furnaces you know, lost control. Just recently, we've seen attempts at you know, poisoning the water supply. You know, so this goes beyond, as you said, Mark, this really impacts everything across the business. And I think that the CISO role here, you know, just like a CFO might have financial responsibilities, but the whole of the business is responsible to a certain extent for its financial performance. Likewise here, you know, it's everybody's issue and problem. You know, and the attacks there, you know, are, 
there are just as many successful ones coming in through looking at social engineering, this kind of thing, to get in there and get access. The other key point is that sometimes it's not even that catastrophic failure. To go in undetected, change files, change settings, change parameters, potentially you could then be massively impacting, not stopping production, but creating a huge amount of waste and bad reputation as well. So the scale of the risk, I think, is massive. Um, and it still tends to be focusing more on the, the technical side of things when there is a more holistic picture needed. And in particular, just like finance isn't just the CFO's business, the profitability, sustainability of the company is everyone's business, it's the same with security. And Isabel, picking up on that then, surely we've got a cultural challenge that security professionals need to address. You know, what's your view on how people are embracing that human aspect of this? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, I think that in some ways we're seeing something of a disconnect. Um, and if we look at some of the, the major things that are on sort of a typical CISO um, plate, you know, a lot of the regulation focuses back on that data confidentiality um, and uh, personally identifiable information space um, and that shift in perspective um, it is is kind of colored by uh, that kind of drawback through to well what's our regulatory obligation um, and I think the the real key here and and the the turning point needs to be uh, that cultural shift and I think it really comes from a cultural shift in terms of um, communication between the different areas. So as CISOs um, become more responsible for uh, more of the cybersecurity side of operational resilience, um, then there needs to be a really clear understanding all the way through of actually if we have something like TeamViewer and we've got an uh, uh, enterprise IT putting in remote connectivities solutions, actually the, the key is that when that happens, there's a communication piece, communication piece and a cultural shift to make sure that the right questions are being asked to understand actually what are the impacts and how does that really um, follow through out to uh, the, the impact to first and foremost, uh, safety, personal injury, um, through to the resilience piece and, um, and, and the integrity piece, uh, which I think typically in, in cybersecurity generally, we have looked at a little bit less in depth than the, um, than the confidentiality side of things and the privacy side of things. So, so it's definitely a, a shift. And I think it's a shift of across the board um, for us to focus in the right areas and also make sure that we're focusing kind of our, our attention on what's the business need and the business outcomes. As a key theme. I, I, and in many respects that resonates with why uh, BSI are looking at uh, promoting um, you know, our capabilities in the IoT security space. And, and for me, if I look back uh, only three months, um, you know, as somebody who spent almost 30 years in the cybersecurity industry, BSI's capability uh, was, was very much a best kept secret. Many people don't know that we have a capability in this space or view us only as an organization that created standards. I, and you know, if we can move it to the next slide, I think it, it is really important, um, you know, for 
you know, us to, to be able to present and to talk about the capabilities that we have. You know, over you know, the past half hour, you, you'll have heard us talk about our experience in you know, construction, in the built environment, in healthcare, in manufacturing, in, in utilities. But the fact that we have experience across a multifaceted set of insights. But, but David, maybe in, if you and Isabel can touch on maybe the, the latter three perspectives here of the, some of the work that we've been involved in with our clients around the risk assessments, the product certification, how we take some of that engineering experience. And, and you know, maybe, David, particularly if you can talk about the product certification labs that we have and the deep-rooted experience that that enables us to bring. Um, so, and then we can move on to our, our framework model that we've uh, you know, developed developed within uh, BSI. So David, over to you first. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, so when we're looking to provide some level of assurance, provide um, trust, you know, the couple of things were really, really key. First, really to um, make sure that what we were looking at was really, really best practice and focus on steering our clients and making sure they were adopting best practice. Rather, so rather than say, going in there heuristically looking for issues and problems. It's looking at what does best practice look like from design all the way through. And then looking really at the standards landscape has also emerged over this time. So our objective is to allow our clients to demonstrate that they are compliant with best practice and have the appropriate security controls in place for, the, for their product or services intended use. But in to do that over the last three years when we've been developing these schemes, it's been very collaborative with all of the stakeholders. So the standards have been emerging, best practices have been changing, new technologies have been coming in, and um, the threat landscape has changed. So it's been very, very dynamic. And whilst that has been a challenge, so some of our clients have said, well, how, how can we have a mark of trust on our product if you keep changing the goalposts? And I'm saying, well, we don't make your product good. You make your product good, and our assessment and the mark of trust reflects that. In order for your product to be good, ahead of the game, achieving excellence and differentiate, you have to be dynamic. You have to be flexible. This isn't a single bar that you um, that you, you you put there and say, I've got to cross that, I'm good. This is a journey that goes through from the, your design of the product all the way through to end of life. So part of what we're assessing is testing a product in a lab. But just as key to that, is assessing the organization, the skills and capabilities that have specified, designed, verified, validated, sourced, manufactured, tested, supported, supply chain management is just as critical. And it's those combination of skills within BSI of having the expert cyber skills, the expert product certification and understanding of the standards, but also those expert assessors in the field. And that's the only way that we we've been getting to the point where we can put a mark of trust on a connected device, a connected product. We've been doing this for 120 years, but this, and so we know the fundamentals of having that trust, looking at that complete manufacturing and supply chain, but the digital landscape has transformed that again. So it's that unique combination of that pedigree of understanding about trust and the whole of the manufacturing process together with those cyber skills that are really differentiated. It started really though with um, talks in the boardroom to get the um, C-suite to understand the benefit of investing in security by design and independent assessment. And to give it a, a, one example, 
when challenged with this in one particular sector, um, I mentioned the work we're doing in smart locks and um, the uh, CEO, I believe it was, said, if I want to buy a smart lock, I'll just go to Yale because they're the best brand. You know, I wouldn't necessarily look for their market trust. So my response to that was that's interesting because, again, this is in the public domain. Yale were the first company to come to BSI and say, we need a scheme here to assess independently the smart aspects of their product. They were looking for that trust. They were looking to ensure they built resilience in and above all, looking to differentiate and excel. And their brand leadership is built on that independent trust and collaboration with an organization like BSI. And Isabel, from from your perspectives, you're obviously working in some of the deep rooted engineering uh, and and cybersecurity skills that we have within BSI. You, know, wh where are you seeing that experience really sort of come to the fore to help our clients as we drive this forward, and many more clients come to us for assistance. So I think the the real thing that we offer is um, that outside perspective. Um, sometimes it is incredibly helpful to just take a step back and um, and look at uh, what's in place, what the end goal looks like, um, and then it becomes much easier to map out how to get from one point to the, the next. Um, and, and that's really where we add value is that um, the outside perspective and the broad range of experience across uh, a lot of different industries and a lot of different um, areas. You know, there are areas and industries where there have been um, movement forward in some areas that can translate uh, across to other areas um, and, and being able to look at any given organization and understand where they sit within the context of their own um, industry, but also in the context of actually the broader industry 4.0 IoT space um, and, and apply everything that we've learned broadly across those areas uh, to specific issues, specific challenges that people are finding, um, that uh, that's really, a, for, for me, where I, where I think we, we bring the most value um, and, uh, and, and where, like, as a team, that's, that's sort of what we, what we enjoy doing <laughs> um, most is, is really that helping um, the customer to, to kind of um, practically uh, and, and, realistically implement that vision for the end state. Um, obviously, I say end state, it's never finished and then done, but, but kind of what that mature state of, uh, of, of IoT Industry 4.0 cybersecurity looks like. Looking at our overarching value proposition, you, as you would probably expect from an organisation which has a deep rooting in standards, we, we've taken uh, you know, at BSI, the various standards that do exist, be it ISO 19790, be it NIST, be it ANISA, be it uh, you know, EIT, you know, there's, there's a multitude of standards here. But what we've recognised is, to date, there is no single unifying standard for an approach to cybersecurity. And, and the model that we've developed is really built upon what we see as the common de facto standard for many organizations when they look at cybersecurity, which is NIST and the, and the common cybersecurity framework with a bit of a twist. 
uh, because the experience we have within BSI indicates to us that you know, whilst NIST would normally go identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, that the in the industrial space, and certainly in the OT and industrial IoT space, that the ability to detect what the risks are, but also the impacts should those risks materialize, are central to actually being able to determine what the protect strategy should be. And, and therefore, you know, this comes back to the ability to inspire trust in a more resilient world. And, and David, I, I know from the product certification side, you and I have, have talked about it over the past few weeks. You know, time and time again, many of our, 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 organize, our client organizations are not anywhere near that you know, middle ground and, and being able to move towards protect. They're still making the mistakes in the identify and detect space. So maybe you know, I could invite you to maybe spend a minute of you know, what we're seeing as the simple mistakes that many organizations are making in, in that space. And then we can move it to the, the broader sort of question and answer session. Thanks. So basically there are, there are two broad categories. One is at the um, architectural level, focusing on one particular aspect uh, and believing that that's everything covered. So this may be saying, well, we just push everything into the cloud and we've got secure comms, therefore we don't have to worry everything and oversimplify. And then at the technical level, it's um, the two big areas that have, that have really seen. I think the, the key one falls into the supply chain management issue again, where effectively um, as a fundamental problem, is they are taking on trust too much of what's happening in their supply chain. And there are fundamental blatant um, issues, vulnerabilities in there, which as an organization, um, they haven't picked up through their supply chain. And this may be um, down to obvious things such as leaving default passwords on there that don't have to be changed. It may be OEM suppliers who maybe provide the similar core module to many, many different organizations with all kinds of unnecessary um, data and all kinds of unnecessary apps with vulnerabilities on those devices. So if I'm gonna group it into anywhere, the, the two big things then are oversimplifying the architecture and over-reliance on the supply chain are the two big factors. From that, a multitude of, of um, vulnerabilities um, appear and that we see as, as the common theme. And, and, and Isabel, maybe you know a final quick thirty-second point from you. You know, for those organisations who are starting to get past those very initial stages, when we're working, when you're working with our clients around the protect pillar, mm -hmm. where they're starting to look at what their strategy, their architectures, their controls, their policies, standards, and guidelines, what are you seeing maybe as a couple of the quick wins that they should be focusing on there? So. Um Quick wins, I would say, are um, really looking at um, the uh, sort of mid to end life cycle. So understanding actually um, how, how things are just, you know, the destruction element um, and, and getting rid of this stuff at the end. I think that's something that's frequently overlooked um, and can generally speaking, be quick, uh, a pretty good quick win. Um, uh, and um, I would say, if I were to choose a second one, I, to be honest, I think I would probably reflect what David said in the sense of understanding your supply chain. Um, but I would say look downstream and really understand kind of 
what the users are wanting to get out of um, of, of the system of the um, product. Um, and I think a quick win there is really understanding um, uh, some of the, the big issues for the downstream organisations. We hope you enjoyed this episode and many thanks for joining us. I would like to thank David and Isabel for joining me here today. In our next episode, we will discuss data management and resilience. Make sure to subscribe for this upcoming episode and to receive notifications for the entire series. Talk to you soon.